This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. I'd like to call your attention today to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. And if y'all find it, y'all please stay. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And so think our brother, to the church of God, which is of Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both there and all. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we are thankful. Thankful to you, Lord, for grace, mercy, empowerment, Lord, that even enables us to be here, to come, to come together to worship you. Lord, we always want to express our thanks for the privilege of being able to gather and study together, to have the freedom for the proclamation of your word, freedom to gather in a place like this and not be afraid of somebody breaking in through the doors to arrest us. And Lord, we're thankful in whatever circumstances, Lord, that you make yourself known. That as as we read and pray and work together through the Scriptures that You enlighten our minds and that You grow us spiritually. Father, we pray um, for Your blessing on this study. We pray that You teach us how to apply the truths that we find here and that we learn and that we may increase in our love for You and increase in our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and increase in our love and passion to reach lost souls, love for them, and passion to reach out to them. Lord, that we grow in our awareness, first of all, of our need for You, and how that we are totally dependent upon You every moment, every second. And we pray, Lord, for an increased awareness of our need for one another so that we do not walk through this life as islands. May we be quick to help others and to receive help from others. Lord, may we be committed by Your grace, to live for Your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.
can be seated. I was listening to a, uh, a, a actually a podcast this week. Um, it's pretty good if you want to check it out. It's called the, uh, if, if you do that kind of thing online, it's called the, uh, the Cross and the Jukebox. And uh, yeah, I know that sounds spiritual, doesn't it? Just the title. Um, it's actually good. It's uh, Dr. Russell Moore. He's uh, one of the professors. In fact, I think he's head of the theology department at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, this, this I'm, I'm just sharing this with you because I was singing the song, and this has nothing to do with the sermon, as far as I know. I mean, we may, we may, it may connect it some way. But um, he was talking the other day about blood songs and how people have a kind of a strange, you know, even in secular music, kind of have a strange attraction to that. Like the song we were just doing, who's, who's, uh, who's probably, that song's probably been recorded by no telling how many country artists especially. Um, and, of course, you never know what, what people are hearing there. I mean, I think of my past experience, and uh, I loved Amazing Grace, you know, the song, but certainly didn't hear it the same way then that I hear it now. Just thought it was a great song. Um, but at any rate, when he was talking about that, it reminded me of a, of a strange experience I had one time. And... Uh, um, I don't know any meaning behind this other than just to me it's a, a, a testament to uh, the name of Jesus and, and the power of Jesus' name, uh, the power of Jesus. But, um, but what he was saying reminded me of this. We, we were playing um, probably in 1985, somewhere 86, somewhere along there. We were playing at a bar in Mansfield, Louisiana. And it was essentially, we did a mixture of music. This bar was essentially a, a rock and roll place, so we were heavy on the, on the rock and roll and blues music in this particular place. Um, and this guy, we always took requests. We loved the, the challenge, you know, any genre um, except disco. We didn't, we didn't do disco. <coughs> but that was a rule in the band. But at any rate... Um, other than that, you know, we, we, we love the challenge, take any song. And this guy, literally, you know, he's, he's an older man. He, he staggers up to the stage and he said, will you do a request? And I said, well, yes, sir, of course, if we, if we know it. You know, one of us knows it, we'll play it. And, you know, if one of us knows it, the others can fake it. I mean, we'll play it. And he said, um, I want you, he said, today's my birthday. And I'd like for you to do one day at a time. It's an old country gospel song, right? And, uh, well, I knew the song. I knew every word to the song. I didn't sing it, of course. <laughs> but in places we were in, that wasn't, uh, you know, it didn't go well. But I, I didn't sing it, of course, but I, but I, but I knew the song. I knew it well. And, and so I looked at him, and, and, I, and I looked over at, at my lead guitar player who knew I knew the song. And he says, he's going, do it, man. Come on, do it, do it. <laughs> and I said, okay, we'll do it. And so this place, like I say, it's just pretty wild and noisy. And the dance floor was already just, just packed. And um, I, I started singing it. We started playing it, and I started singing it. And that place got so quiet, you could have heard a, a pin drop, as they say, 
And nobody left the dance floor. They just stopped dancing. Everybody was standing in the dance floor like this, <laughs> listening. And I thought, this is the strangest thing. But I went, went ahead and finished the song. And when we finished, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, in fact, that's, that may be the only song we ever did where people actually listened, you know, stood and listened. But um, when we finished the song, everybody started applauding and cheering. Now, that's, that was a, a strange. I, th- I think it's just what he said the other day kind of reminded me of that. It, there's a strength. People know, even though they don't know in one sense, they know there's something different about Jesus. And just the mention of his name sometimes does the strangest thing. Now, I don't know. I wish I could tell you that, you know, I fell on my knees that night and, and was saved and that, you know, 40 other people did the same thing. That'd be a great story, wouldn't it? But it wouldn't be true. Um, we, we just went on and did our thing. But I never, it made an impression on me. I never forgot that experience so far. Strange, strange thing. Um, there's something unique. Like I say, this, this is not in the message, but there's something unique. Uh, about Jesus. Now, we, we know what it is, don't we? Because He is in truth Lord. And so just like the blood songs, like Are You Washed, people will sing them and get excited about them. They know there's something to it. And they know that somehow um, that deals with their guilt. Even if they won't surrender to it, often they, they, they recognize something there. So, you just never know. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, what we're going to do this morning is just uh, basically introductory. Uh, in fact, you know, I just thought um, in, in case some of you are geographically challenged like I am, that, that I would just put this image for, as we start on the screen just so I kind of show you where Corinth is. Because um, we're going to, Lord willing, what I'm looking at doing here is going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, an amazing book, and I know you can say that about all the books of the Bible, <laughs> but they're all, they're all fascinating, and and of course, you know different different um, emphases and so forth. But here we 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 really get some insight on some problems um, and and solutions because we're really getting some insight in the book of Corinthians into a church, a local church, and this is one of the things that has always fascinated me about this book, because there's a lot of instruction here that is, uh, is relevant for us today that often gets overlooked, uh, I think often uh, misunderstood in various ways. Um, but it's, it's, of course, it's the Word of God. It's, it's worth looking at and paying close attention to. So, again, Lord willing, what we'll do is, is, um, is, is go through the book of Corinthians. So this morning is just basically going to be kind of introductory. I want to uh, sort of give an, an overview, really just talk about some of the, some of the main issues here um, and, and consider a little bit of these first few verses. Uh, but I thought I'd show you this. It's part of, of Greece. Uh, so you, I guess you can see, um, hopefully I can point at it here without messing anything up. Yeah, I guess you, you see right there it says Corinth, all right? So that, that's where it's located. That's a very strategic location because of that little isthmus right there where they, they, could, uh, they could cross right there. Uh, in fact, I think they did dig some kind of channel there instead of having to sail all the way around. Uh, but it's, it's a very strategic location. Let me, let me give you a modern shot. It's not as big. I wish it were. Um, so, but right... Right there, if you can see that red dot, 
that's where Corinth is located, uh, just kind of southwest of Athens. Uh, incidentally, r- right over in this area somewhere is where uh, Leslie spent a couple of years in high school <laughs> in southern Turkey, um, which used to be, that, that was, you know, Asia Minor. That's where the, the, seven, the seven churches that Jesus is writing to in the book of Revelation are located, located right here. In fact, uh, you can see right there, Ephesus, Laodicea, um, you got Philadelphia, Sardis, Thyatira, Smyrna, Pergamum. And then, of course, over here, you've also got Colossae, where uh, Paul uh, uh, wrote the book of what we call the book of Colossians to the church at, at, uh, at Colossae. And you see other various sites that you recognize from the New Testament, uh, different spots from Paul's traveling, like Miletus and, and uh, uh, Athens and so forth. Uh, Athens, you know, was a, was a, a, a cultural center. And incidentally, uh, Corinth um, predates the, the uh, Athens heyday. So it, it was, a, it was a, a, a popular, a flourishing city um, before the golden days of Athens and, and even afterwards. Now, it was, it was destroyed. Go ahead and kill that. It was destroyed... Um, at one point, uh, by the Romans, because of concerns there, and then they they uh, they came back and rebuilt it in 44 B.C. So that, that just kind of lets you know where it's at. And uh, just a second here, maybe get help you get a uh, kind of a mental picture. At least I, I like that. I kind of like to know. When I when I read about these ancient cities, I like to know okay, where are we talking about today? You know, where 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 was it situated? So, for example, like Babylon, uh, that's in modern Iraq. So those kinds of things are just interesting to me. Um, but the city was destroyed by the Romans in 146 B.C. and then refounded in 44 B.C. In, in terms of uh, 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 you know, socially, it was a very wealthy city. Um, so this is what Paul is walking into. And, and Acts 18, incidentally, is where we have uh, uh, the founding there. You know, Paul goes into, into uh, Corinth and preaches the gospel, and a church is, is born out of that experience. Um, Lord willing, if we, don't, if we don't make it there this morning, we'll try to look at that tonight in Acts 18. Um, but what Paul is walking into there is, is a, a, a bustling little city. Like I say, strategic location. It is it, it's very wealthy. It's, it is, uh, um, well, religiously speaking, you know, you got a variety there. Um, it was known for its immorality. In fact, uh, it, it to Corinthianize, you know, that that became a uh, an idiom, a term uh, referring to committing. Fornication that was uh, that was widely used. So so it wasn't. Or one writer says it this way: it was it was at once at the same time. In other words, it was the New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas of the ancient world. That kind of gives you some idea. I mean, we we have th- these things are helpful to me because we have these false ideas a lot of times about the good old days, and we think back. You know, you know, years ago. It, it wasn't so bad, and now it's just gotten so bad. In some particular geographic location, I mean, if we're just focusing on one particular spot, that may be true. 
<laughs> but if we're talking about the whole world, you, you find pretty much, I mean, you read, read the Old Testament, read the New Testament, you find pretty much that things have been basically the same. Men have been lovers of self. And when I say men, I mean mankind. Uh, lovers of self, um, haters of God. All the way through. So you find this, the same kinds of things. In fact, uh, I'll spare you some of the gory details, but uh, in terms of uh, sexuality, uh, Im- sexual immorality, um, you, you find some things in, in Corinth, ancient city, the ancient city of Corinth, that, that we have yet to see. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, maybe we'll be spared that. But uh, it, it's not like it was... You know, in those days, everybody was modest and all of that. Not the case. In fact, uh, even, even some of their religions were, were uh, nothing more than organized orgies. Um, so, that's, that's the kind of thing that, that you, you find in some of these cities. Corinth, Athens, which as we showed you was just a little bit to the northwest, given to idolatry. You know, when Paul goes into Athens, he's, he's just kind of uh, overwhelmed by by uh, all of the uh, the monuments there to false gods. Uh, so th- these are the kinds of things that were going on. Um, so I-, I say that because I want us to realize it's not that much different than what we're dealing with in our present context. Sexual immorality, all sorts of false religions r- right alongside, you know, Christianity, true Christianity. Um... Affluence in terms of social status, you know, there was there was a lot of prosperity uh, there. So, not not much, not all that unlike what we have in our current day, at least in the United States. Um, in terms of the church, the church at Corinth. Notice that's who it's addressed to here. If you look at Paul's address, uh, some of this I'm gonna I'm gonna just kind of move through. I'll come back to it uh, later, Lord willing, but. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. And uh, just a side note, we're not told anything uh, about Sosthenes other than if, if this is the same Sosthenes that Paul mentions in, uh, or that Luke rather mentions in Acts 18, he was a uh, leader of the synagogue there who apparently was, uh, was saved. Um, and like I say, maybe we'll get to look at that tonight. So, interestingly, Paul kind of lists him as a... Uh, it seems like a co-author here. Now, maybe he's just mentioning him because they all know Sosthenes and, and because he's there with Paul, so he's just saying, hey, um, this is from Paul and Sosthenes, the brother, literally the brother. And that's, that's why he, he's probably known well by the church. To the church of God. Now, I want us to remember that for a couple of reasons. One is this. You hear all kinds of talk, um, exposition about the church of Corinth. And sometimes the way that it is put across is as if this were a pseudo-church, false church. In other words, they have so many problems, there's no way these could be real Christians. You know, they're, they're, just, they're just given over to emotionalism. And uh, that's, that's essentially their God, and, and, and uh, these people can't be saved. Paul even calls them carnal, um, which, again, maybe we'll, we'll get to talk more about later. 
But I, I want you to notice that, that Paul does not address them that way. To the church of God that is in Corinth. This ought to be a great encouragement for us. <laughs> for Fillmore Baptist Church and for us, each of us individually. Because with all of our problems... As a church, church family, and with all of our problems, you know, individually, in other words, me with all of my problems and you with all your problems, that's not to say that we're not genuinely children of God. I mean, we're all sinners, right? This church, with all of its trouble, is a legitimate Church. At least that's what Paul seems to indicate here. He he starts out with that assumption. He doesn't he doesn't talk about it being dead the way that Jesus talks about Laodicea, for example, in the book of Revelation. So he you know he he's going to point out a lot of things wrong, but he's still addressing it as a church, uh, problems and all. So, it's to the church. That's the term we, we've talked quite a bit about, ecclesia, the called out ones. Um, William Tyndale, um, when he did his translation into, the, into uh, English, would translate that word consistently with the word congregation. And I think that's very helpful. We don't have that in... Uh, None of the major English translations that I know of. Um, but that's very helpful. When you see that word, church, if it's got the word ecclesia behind it, the Greek word ecclesia, what it's talking about there is the congregation. The congregation. In other words, we're not talking about a specific um, political structure, something like that. We're talking about the gathered people of God. And that's who Paul's addressing. Now, another interesting thing here uh, is that, uh, just kind of a side note, but Paul, it, unlike Philippians, for example, Paul does, does not um, mention the elders and, and deacons. Or unlike Timothy, Timothy's a pastor at Ephesus, and Paul writes at least uh, two epistles there to Timothy, right? And says, you know, here's instruction for you so that you may know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. So, it, it, I mean, there's, there's something there for all of us that's applicable, but, but he's writing to the church leaders. And in Philippians, you know, he sends out a greeting to the church leaders. There's no mention of church leaders here. I just find that interesting and, and helpful in, in this way um, just to know that the, the Word of God is, is speaking to the congregation. That, that includes the leadership, but it includes everybody. And same thing, really, I, I think, pretty much in, in Revelation, where Jesus sends the letters to the churches. I mean, he, does, he doesn't send the letters to a bishop somewhere, right? He sends them he's to the, he, or there speaks to the, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, which may, may be the pastor. I mean, there's, that's, we don't know for sure. It's a possibility. But he deals with, Jesus in Revelation deals with the individual churches. He doesn't, he doesn't um, 
you know, address his, uh, what, he, what he's going to say to the Pope or to the, to the bishop in this area or something like that. God's speaking to the congregation. And Paul is doing that here. He's, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So these are the words of God. And he's talking to the whole congregation. And that is true throughout the rest of the book. He's speaking to the congregation, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ, in, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Now, um, I do want to point out one more distinction there in his uh, address. If you, if you turn over to 1 Thessalonians, just briefly, we're going to come right back. 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians, it is believed, was the first epistle written. So, so this is an earlier letter. Now, the word epistle is just letter. These are letters. Literally letters written to uh, either different people or different congregations. This one to the congregation at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 1.1 1, 1, Here's the, here's the uh, address, the greeting. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what I want you to notice here is, is the use of these prepositions. Here in Thessalonians, it is to the church of the Thessalonians. That is, to the congregation of the Thessalonians in God. The church of of the Thessalonians in God. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he reverses that in 1 Corinthians. And I don't think it's, a, it's, it's, it's not done by chance. In fact, I think it's d- directly related to their problems. So here, instead of saying to the church of the Corinthians in God... He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. This this is going to be an important truth for this book. In other words, who owns the church? God. And I think that's what's happening here. Paul is is making uh, making it clear here up front who's in possession. It's going to be be, uh, important for the arguments that he makes as he goes. To the church of God. You belong to God. Now, that's certainly true of the Thessalonians also. They, they just had different problems and, and he just, you know, they had different issues rather. And so he just addresses them differently. Um, but I'm going to suggest to you, and I think we'll see this as we go, that there's a spirit of, uh, of uh, autonomy or individualism here that... Um, Frankly, whether we know it or not, we're, we're more familiar with than, than I wish we were. <laughs> kind of a detachment, in other words. You know, we, here we are, the Corinthians, the church of Corinth. And Paul, I think, is already beginning to correct that. No, you're the church of God in Corinth. You belong to God. I'm not going to say a whole lot about that now, a little bit more, but... Um, but we'll be just trying to keep our eyes open to that as we, as we move through. So I think that's what's at work there. To the church of God that is in Corinth. 
and that again is certainly applicable to to all, applicable to us, you know, to the church of God in Fillmore or Princeton or Houghton or whichever address you prefer, prefer there. The church of God. The church belongs to God. Now, some of the some of the problems here. Um, I, I think the the primary one is is this. That is, well, let me let me say this. They they have they have problems with division in the church. All right, and so this is this is why Paul's writing. He's going to address this. But the primary one being a, a schism, as it were, between them and him. That that is, there's a rejection here that is happening of Paul's authority. Now he's gonna uh, he's gonna deal with some other schisms as well. There, in other words, there are some schisms among among the people which should not exist. But the main one is their rejection of Paul's authority over them as an apostle. And again, this is going to be, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of that here, but, but this is going to be something to watch for as we go. The, the whole letter has a, a, a polemical tone to it. In other words, Paul is, Paul is, is uh, basically on the attack here, uh, defending his apostleship and setting things straight. That is, you know, he's saying you're, you're, you're not doing this when you should be doing it, or you're doing that when you shouldn't be doing it. You know, you're not acting in love and so forth. Various things we're going to see. He's, he's setting them straight in spite of the fact that they are rejecting his authority. So, so he's, he's coming at them with this, uh, well, here it is in verse 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's saying, I didn't, I didn't bring this upon myself. You didn't elect me. I'm, I'm not an apostle by the will of man. I'm called by the will of God. So again, even in the address, I think Paul is setting the tone. He's defending his apostleship. First of all, I'm called. I'm called, chosen to this office. And secondly, by the will of God. Called by the will of God. That's the, the, the or, or, um, or through the will of God, literally. That's the sufficient cause of his calling. In other words, it was God's will that Paul be an apostle, and specifically an, an apostle to the Gentiles, this is a church made up uh, primarily of Gentiles, I would suggest, and uh, and then more specifically, an apostle to the Corinthians. Let me give you just one example here. If you look over at chapter four, <clears throat> whoop, I went too far. First Corinthians chapter four, verse one. This is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, Paul's talking about him and his, him and his colleagues, Sosthenes and others. This is how one should regard us. We are servants. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required to steward that they be found trustworthy. 
Now listen to what he says here. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Do you see the tone there he's saying? You, it, you can judge me if you want, but it's a small thing to be judged by you. My concern is I'm going to be judged by the Lord who called me according to His own will. So, so you, you can see there's a, there's a tension there. They are, they are sitting in judgment of the apostles, uh, in this case Paul, of, of Paul the apostle. Um, and, and finding him wanting, and we're going to see some, some reasons as we go. I mean, they consider him to be weak. You know, they say, hey, you, you, you talk big in your letters and so forth, but in your appearance you're, you're weak. And they're not impressed with weakness. And they consider themselves. And here, another um, uh, theme that flows throughout this book, they consider themselves to be spiritual and we're the spiritual ones, and they don't view Paul as being very spiritual, and apparently don't view um, other Christians as being spiritual. Don't see their, their need. In fact, Paul's going to write a whole, whole chapter, chapter 12, on how the, the, the church is the body of Christ, and we work together. We all function differently, but we form one body. And, and the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. All of these things are indicative of problems going on in this church. And again, I think that uh, is alluded to also here in the address. If you look at verse 2 again. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See what Paul's doing again right up front? You're not isolated. You're, you're not Something special. You're part of a whole. So yes, yes, you are called. You're called to be saints. But together with all those who in every meeting place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, again, um, the main problem here, I think, the underlying uh, issue, the, the, the reason for the letter. Why did Paul write the letter? Is their rejection of him. Um, there's already been some interchange prior to this. We, we, we don't have it recorded. It didn't make it into the Scripture. Uh, there was a letter previous to this that we're going to see uh, Paul allude to later on. I believe it's in chapter 5. So, so there's already been a conversation happening, um, and, and the problems have arisen, and now Paul is addressing them. Now, there's some, as I already mentioned, there's some internal issues as well. In other words, it's not just that they reject Paul's authority. Although that's a major issue, but there are internal issues as well, and these are various and sundry. <laughs> um, their, their, their lack of love, and probably you can sum all these up with that phrase, lack of love. Lack of love. Their lack of love results in a high view of self and a low view of others. Five times in this epistle, Paul uses the phrase puffed up to describe the Corinthians' inflated view of themselves. In uh, chapter 4, verse 6, 
chapter 4, verse 18, chapter 4, verse 19, chapter 5, verse 2. And then in chapter 13, verse 4, um, he says, love is not puffed up, which implies that, because the whole chapter does, it implies that they're not walking in love. So, so the implication there is that they are puffed up. He sets, he sets being puffed up there, he sets that up as, a, as antithetical to the nature of love. Love is not puffed up. And so, uh, again, the idea is if, if, if you're puffed up, you're not walking in love. And their lack of love also is evident in strained relationships. Um, first of all, one I already mentioned, their relationship with Paul. And this is, again, the, the primary reason for him writing the letter. Uh, they, they see themselves as superior in wisdom, knowledge, and spirituality. Those, those three words are going to be words to watch for. Wisdom. Knowledge and spirituality. Wisdom, the Greek word is Sophia. Knowledge, gnosis, where, where we get our word, um, uh, like when you prognosticate is, you know, to think ahead, or prognosis, b- before knowledge. Gnosis, the Greek word for, for knowledge. And um, they think themselves more spiritual. And, and, and so the term. Pneumaticoi uh, is here is used here frequently. The spiritual, the spiritual ones. That's how that's how they see themselves. And Paul uses it sarcastically uh, in reference to them um, to 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 set them straight. And I'm, I'm all of these things. I tell you, all these things are so relevant. They're still problems. I've I've, I've been part of groups that claim to be more spiritual than other Christians. It's very divisive. It's, it's a schism. There's nothing spiritual about being schismatic. Um, so it's, 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 it's amazing, isn't it? And, and uh, something for us to, to be aware of and be, uh, be wise to Satan's deception. The very moment you're thinking yourself most spiritual, you're, 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 you're very prob- probably... Um, into pride, right? Or some kind of schismatic behavior. So we really have to watch the human heart and pray for God's grace. So uh, a lot of schisms, divided loyalties. Paul talks about that right off the bat in this chapter. Uh, he says, each one of you in verse 12, uh, each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, and that's Peter, of course, or I follow Christ. So, so there's some divided Loyalties there among the apostles and then among each other. There's different uh, social statuses and you see that in, in Corinthians 11 where their behavior towards one another is not, not good. Some are neglected, uh, some starving while others are getting fat at the buffet. Um, immorality. Sexual immorality is accepted as normal among church members. That's astounding, isn't it? And yet... Again, too often that's the case today as well. Um, we're quick sometimes to, to something that we really don't like, we, we're quick to speak out against. A lot of people find homosexuality 
very offensive. So, so we're very bold there. We don't have any problem speaking out against that, although there are a lot of churches that are accepting that as well. On the other hand, we've been desensitized in other areas. So when we hear about sexual activity outside of marriage, heterosexual activity outside of marriage, people uh, shacked up is a term that we've always used, people living together outside of marriage or people involved in extramarital affairs, there's more tolerance there. Now, the, wor- the world often accuses us of that, and I think, unfortunately, sometimes they're right. In fact, this past week, uh, CNN asked Al Mohler to write an article on that very subject. In other words, are we hypocritical in our condemnation of, of uh, homosexuality? And he responded with a really good article that was posted on CNN's blog uh, this, this week. Check it out if you, if you haven't. Um, so th- there, was, there was actually sex- sexual morality in the church Paul, in, in various ways. Paul deals with that. Uh, one, one incident, incident in chapter 5, incest. There's a lot of selfish behavior. They are characterized by irresponsible and unloving behavior. Some examples of that in chapter 8 and chapter 10. Um, Christian liberty is exercised to the point of, of harming other believers, even causing them to stumble. So, in other words, the, the liberty, um, which is important, but, but the liberty is valued over other persons. That's just selfish. And Paul says you're not, you're not walking in love. Um, he deals with marriage issues. Again, there's, there's uh, perverted ideas of sexuality here. And Paul deals with that in chapter 7. Some spouses refusing Refusing to honor their own spouse's need and desire for, for sex. Paul deals with that, yes, in the Bible. Because it's sinful. And in fact, he goes so far to say to the, to the men, to the husbands, your body's not your own, it belongs to your wife. And to the wives, your body's not your own, it belongs to the husband. So, you don't have that right, that privilege to say, no, just because you don't like the idea, the timing, or whatever. It's selfish. It's, 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 it's disobedience to the Lord, which is um, underlying all of these things, of course. So Paul deals with that in chapter 7. Um, probably one of the reasons behind that, incidentally, is um, this, this uh, idea of dualism that they seem to be embracing here. In other words... Uh, again, the, the word spiritual, spirituality, that's going to be very important throughout this book. And they, they, have, they seem to have this view, this Hellenistic view of, of everything spiritual is good and pure, and everything physical, and of course, sex would fall into that category, everything physical is evil. And ironically, they, they would take that and go to two different two entirely different extremes so that some would say, boy, we can just engage in all manner of immorality, visit temple prostitutes. Again, Paul deals with that in this letter. We, we can go to prostitutes. 
None of that matters because the only thing that really matters is spiritually we're good, we're pure. And what we do in the body doesn't matter. And that's, that's absurd and that's heresy. And some would go to the other extreme of asceticism and say, well, well you know what? Um, the, the physical is so vulgar that I just want to do everything I can to abstain as much as possible from every physical activity and just be spiritual. <laughs> well, Paul says, glorify the Lord in your bodies and your spirit. And so he deals with them. Don't go to prostitutes. And do have sex with your spouse. It's amazing that a pastor or apostle in this case would have to even deal with those things, isn't it? But again, if you think of their background and the culture that this church exists in, um, it, it sheds a lot of a lot of light on it. a lot of a lot of wrong ideas about spirituality and um, the nature of things like sexuality, or even eating and drinking, as Paul also addresses. So, um, a lot of selfish behavior. Deny their responsibility to their spouses. Um, they have an identity crisis. They do not understand that they do not belong to themselves. Now, I've, I've, there's a few ways that way that plays out. One is what I've just told you, husband and wives. Husbands, your, your body belongs to your wife, not to you. Wives, your body belongs to your husband, not to you. But then there's some general ways, too. We belong to the Lord. Paul's going to tell them, you are bought with a price. You are not your own. And again, doesn't, doesn't that kind of underlie all of these problems? It, it's just a selfish, me-centered, my-needs-centered attitude at the expense of everybody else. Spouses, brothers and sisters in Christ, um, unbelievers, the Apostle Paul, on and on and on. It's a me-centered approach to the expense of everybody else. So here's what I would say is the root problem, and we'll close with this. Like I say, I think the primary reason behind the letter being written is their rejection of Paul. So he's really going to come at them with, um, you know, hey, I'm, I am, I'm, an, I'm an apostle by the will of God. I'm called by God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's made me a steward of the mysteries of God. And, uh, and, and by the way... Um, one reason that's so important with Paul is because he is an apostle. He is writing the words of God here. And so to reject him is essentially to reject the gospel. Does that make sense? I mean, in other words, if they're going to, if they're going to reject Paul's uh, status as an apostle, his authority, and therefore, based on that, reject his teaching and say, we've got a better idea about what, what it means to be spiritual... We've got a better idea about what it means to have knowledge. We've got a better idea about what wisdom is. Well, what they're doing is rejecting God's Word. That's why it's so important. Because you might look at this and think, boy, Paul sure is defensive. <laughs> you know, and boy, he really wants to be esteemed, doesn't he? No, see, the problem is they reject him. They, re they, they reject the truth. They, they wind up rejecting the gospel because he is the one God has appointed 
to bring them the truth and instruct them. So, here's the, here's the root problem behind all of these things. And it plays out in the selfish attitudes, in the unloving behavior. That's why we have such a, a whole chapter, again, on love and what true love is. But here's the root problem. I think this is always the case. An unwillingness to live for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, I mean, here's, here's where I think the, the, the rubber meets the road. And I'm going to try to be quick here. We're closing. But here's where I think the rubber meets the road. We've got to ask ourselves in any situation, in any situation, do I desire... To glorify God. Am I going to submit to God's will for His glory in this situation? So, if that means idolatry, you know, like, like here they're, they're eating meat offered to idols thinking that they actually gain something from that. Some of them are going to temple prostitutes. On the other hand, some of them are, are denying their own spouses Sexual intimacy. They've got sexual immorality in the church that they won't deal with. Any situation like that, we've got to ask ourselves, do I want to glorify God or not? That seems like such a light thing in the, in the middle of discussing Christian liberty and whether or not to eat meat and drink wine. You know, in chapter 10, Paul says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. I mean, we we can read it that way. Yeah, well, that's that's chapter 10 um, and verse 30. And we can read it that way. Yeah, so whether whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, all the glory of God. And miss how important that is. In fact, it's, it's, it's astounding to me that on, on, on a subject that in one sense seems so insignificant that that's where the Holy Spirit puts that. Because right here He's not talking about bowing down to idols or something like that. Right here where that's inserted, He's talking about eating and drinking, Right? He's talking about Christian liberty. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. He's talking about a, a, a preference to live for self and for, and for pleasure rather than living for edification, for the edification of another, for the spiritual welfare of another. And he even brings it down to these so seemingly insignificant things, eating and drinking. And he says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, Notice, notice how all-inclusive that is. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That's what we as Christians have to be committed to. Living for the glory of God. So in every specific situation, I've got to ask myself that question. 
you've got to ask yourself that question. Do we live for the glory of God? Do I desire to glorify God? Do we desire to glorify God in this congregation? Do I desire to glorify God in my marriage? Do I desire to glorify God in my relationships with my co-workers? Do I desire to glorify God when I'm standing in the line at Walmart? What, whatever it is, that's the bottom line issue. A willingness to live in obedience to Christ so that we honor Him. And that should. It's not happening here with the church of Corinth. But that should govern everything that we do. So whether you eat, drink, and I may, you, you may hear me coming back to this passage over and over and over. To me, this is kind of the key passage. <laughs> whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Would you stand? We'll pray and be dismissed. Father, we love You. And again, we just want to thank You for Your love for us, for instruction from Your Word. And Lord, we're thankful that You don't give us these things and leave us on our own, but that You empower us to live the life You've called us to live. So we do pray to be empowered by the strength of Your might to walk in obedience to Christ to live for your honor and glory we ask it in Jesus name amen this sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton Louisiana Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.